Welcome back, dear listeners, to yet another episode of the Through the Banner podcast. And dear listeners, your ears do not deceive you. Even Well, no, that doesn't make sense because in order to be deceived, you need to hear the thing that's deceiving you. Okay, well, Liam, can you can you say something? Just, just say it. Your ears do not deceive you, dear listeners. I finally have someone else on the podcast. This is actually happening for the first time in what feels like since the medieval ages. For the first time since King Henry VIII divorced for the first time. And people thought, well, goodness gracious me, we won't have to go through that again. I actually have someone on the podcast with me. It is the one, the only, the fabulous, the only Collingwood supporter that I can actually have a decent conversation with about football because he is completely unbiased. The incredible, the young Leo DiCaprio-esque looking and the sexy Liam Webster McAllister. Liam, it is a pleasure to have you back on. I cannot tell you how excited I am to actually talk to someone. So I'm not just talking to myself, (laughs) recording myself on Zoom like a freaking loner. It's good to be here, and uh, what what a what an introduction as well, I must say. Definitely, definitely hasn't um, done my ego any harm, that's for sure. Why would you go on any other podcast, bro? And you can you could come on here anytime you needed an ego boost, and I would pump you up just like that, dear listener. If this is the first time that you are tuning into the podcast and you haven't decided to click away yet, thank you for staying. We have three different sections of the podcast. We'll each talk about our main highlight, main low light of the round that has just been. Before diving into the main talking points out of the last few days on field and off of it, before previewing a huge round 15, the last of the buy rounds, finally, uh, even as someone who is by myself, I've got to say I cannot stand the buy rounds. So I am very, very, very much excited to see the back of them but it starts off with a monster Geelong versus Melbourne clash at GMHBA stadium very excited to see who you think is going to win that Liam but before we do that I've got to ask you what was your top highlight of the weekend well I'm going to go for a little bit of an interesting one here because obviously as a Collingwood fan over the years I've rather enjoyed Carlton's lowlights which has been many many over the last decade or so but one of the things I always enjoyed watching about Carlton maybe because of his inconsistent form was Levi Casbolt and the goal that he scored this week was just a piece of artwork running towards the boundary line he just takes the ball and he's like you know what I'm gonna hit this and it flies through for arguably a goal of the year contender Levi Casbolt take a bow lad that was my highlight of the week I immensely enjoyed watching that goal go through that is probably the best worst goal of the year attempt I've ever seen Worse because he didn't need to run towards the boundary line. No one was chasing him. No one was putting any sort of pressure on him. It wasn't like Eddie Betts when he kicked that goal of the year in 2006 against Collingwood, where he had two Collingwood defenders standing with him up against the boundary line and he had no choice but to kick it from the boundary line. No, Caswell just thought, you know what? I'm gonna I could kick the easiest goal in my career, but I'm gonna make it difficult. And he, he wasn't himself a towards test. the boundary line, and he kicks this incredible goal to bring them within ten goals with a minute to go. Yeah. The worst, best goal of the year <laughs> I've ever seen in my entire life, but it was incredible for me. It's got to be the Port Adelaide Football Club. Uh, I'll say they have rarely been challenged during the uh, what is it, ten wins in a row that they've now had, eleven wins in a row that they've now mm-hmm. had like they were against the Cats. And the Cats kicked six goals to two against them in the first quarter. It was a little reminiscent of that Bulldogs prelim win in 2021. And I thought, okay, here they are up for the challenge, Geelong. It's going to take a monumental Herculean effort to turn that around. And they proceeded to kick, I think it was 15 goals to five for the remaining three quarters or something like that. It was an incredible turnaround at home, one of my main criticisms of Port Adelaide over the last 11 weeks is that except for when they've played the really, really terrible teams, think of like North Melbourne, Hawthorne or West Coast, they've rarely blown teams away. So they've been very good at the close wins, but they've rarely gotten that big dominant win. This was the big dominant win. And this win to me proved that I think Port Adelaide are definitely, if not the best team in the competition, 
definitely a solid second place at the moment. But for every single highlight, there is, of course, a low light. And for me, it has got to be, and I uh, did not come up with this headline myself. I've probably stolen it from about 100 different newspapers across the country and 100 different footy shows across the country. But it is, of course, the Docker Shocker in Western Sydney. This Fremantle headed into the season. I actually tipped Fremantle to make the grand final this year. And I tipped Greater Western Sydney to finish bottom of the ladder. Now, obviously, Fremantle have been nowhere near that good and the Giants have been nowhere near that bad. But imagine, to my surprise, when I come home after commentating the worst game of country football that I've ever commentated, and I check the scores, I sit down, have Richmond St. Kilda on the TV, look at the rain, think, God, I've managed to beat the rain just in time, sit down, have some matches, pull up my phone, and see the fact that the Giants won by 70 points? What the actual F, Fremantle? F is for Fremantle and also for failure. Catastrophic failure. They are a fail of a team. They are just absolutely, forget flag mantle, they're more like fail mantle. It's just a shocking, shocking, shocking performance. And for a team that had been building good momentum before the bye, you know, had four wins before the bye, their last two weeks have been absolutely catastrophic. And if they lose to the Bombers, dare I say, their season is done and docker dusted. A purple and white catastrophe. You know, in the past, purple was seen as a color of royalty. Well, now it is a color of royal failure. Bring back the red and the green, Frio. Bring it back. Because at least then you had no expectations of being successful. So your honorable, your disastrous losses weren't as disastrous. This is, I think, the worst Fremantle loss since 2016. Now they've had bigger losses since 2016 and, you know, then 70 points. But in terms of the expectations heading into the game to come out and perform like that, this is their worst loss since they lost to Carlton in round five, 2016. Do you remember that game, Liam? I remember that perfectly. It was the game where Matthew freaking Tabiner went back with the flight of the ball as the ball was sailing, just about to go over the goal line, and he freaking attempts to mark it, and he spills it, and he goes through for a behind, and they lose to Carlton by five points. It is the worst game that Fremantle has had since that Matthew Tabiner game, and it's just been absolutely a shocking season for them, and uh, we'll talk about John Long newer later, but cannot imagine that uh, that the former Collingwood assistant coach would be particularly pleased with where he's at at the moment. Liam, what about your low light? Yeah, I mean, it has to be the same, to be honest. I mean, it's a game that really Fremantle should have been winning if they wanted to be a serious threat come September. And I think, you know, GWS have been, I'd say, respectful, you know, re- respectable, I guess, would probably be a better way of putting it this year. But I still think that... Um, Fremantle should be able to at least give them a challenge and you know probably like we said if they wanted to be an actual threat come September they should, it's a game they should be winning and it's just an absolutely um you know shocking performance and I'll, I'll kind of get into it a bit later when we talk about Longmore um I guess a few of the thoughts that I've got around Fremantle Longmuir I know that your brain. I know. I know that. I know that your brain is kind of uh, a little bit muddled for reasons that we cannot discuss on this podcast. But <laughs> long you. <laughs> uh, we go on to the main talking points, and you know what? Let's just get stuck into it. Justin Longyear, fourth season as head coach. Um, you could argue like first, the second, the second proper season because you know twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one had the COVID affected years, but I reckon if we're not giving Adam Simpson an excuse for where the Eagles are at, we shouldn't be giving Justin Longyear an excuse for where Fremantle are at because at least Adam Simpson's won a premiership at West Coast, which of course I re- I take everything opportunity to remind you of when I Thank can. You. You're welcome. Um, but yeah, I think you know Fremantle. They haven't done anything. They they won a final last year. They made it to the semifinals, got comfortably beaten. Um, and I don't know. It's kind of weird. It was like it was like it's it's they they're playing like they are satisfied with where they finished last year. And I think it speaks to a massive culture of failure that has been permeating at Fremantle since that club's beginning. 
where they make the finals. Maybe they'll make the finals a few years in a row. And that's what they're happy with. And then they, you know, and then they fall off. But hey, it's okay because we won a final. Or, you know, oh, we made the grand final in 2013. So that's okay. That's all right. You know, we justify our existence. But clubs exist to win premierships. And yes, Carlton hasn't won one since 1995. Essendon hasn't won one since 2000. North, not since 99. The Saints haven't won one since 1966. But at least they have won one. At least they've won one. And hey, Fremantle supporters, Port Adelaide, sure, they got hammered in the 2007 Grand Final, but they joined the competition two years after you guys did, and they have a premiership. You guys don't. So I, I wonder, is it the coach's responsibility to kind of fix that culture of failure? Because, and the thing that blew my mind was that he said, uh, he said it was a preparation thing that we didn't prepare properly during the week. That's what he said during the press conference. But like, bro, you're the coach. Like, that's on you, homie. That's on you. You've got, you've got, to, you've got to prepare them. You've got to prepare your players to play a game of football, and especially a game as winnable as that. And so, if it's an issue with preparation, and they get to the stage in the season where I think they're six and seven at the moment. They could only afford to lose two more games for the rest of the year. Difficult run coming up. I got to ask, Liam, is Longyear's job at risk if they finish in the bottom six? I mean, I, I would say I think he's going to be safe until next year. I think next year, if they had a bad start, I think he could have a, a bit of a, a problem on his hands. But I think you kind of spoke to it. Fremantle do seem to almost be satisfied with a certain level of performance. Um, and I think that after what was, you know, a relatively successful year last year, you know, making it to the semi-final, I think that they're going to be kind of looking at that and saying, you know what, we had a bit of an off year this year. We could probably get back to that level next year. Let's just kind of put a, you know, a line through this year, write it off, and we'll go again in 2024. Um I don't think that that's necessarily the right approach. I think every club in the AFL should be thinking about premierships, but obviously the reality is some clubs are further off it than others. But the thing for me with Fremantle is even last year, obviously they made it to the semi-final. Obviously you tipped them to make the grand final this year. Since the start of last year, when you know there was discussions about how good they were, they just and you know people will you know the listeners of this will probably have heard me talk about Fremantle a few times on this on this program, but. Basically, I've never been convinced by them being at the level of the clubs that they would need to be challenging to be a serious premiership threat, at least not in the last couple of years. I think that they've had years where they've looked good, like 2022, they were rather solid. They were a team that were in finals, but they never looked like they could really challenge, you know, the Geelongs, for instance, or the Sydneys, who were obviously the teams that made the grand final. And I think that that was kind of my thinking this year. I was like, they could but I haven't seen anything that gives me any reason to believe that they would be, like you suggested, making the grand final. Um, but like I said, I, I don't think his job's going to have any strife this year. I mean, obviously, if they do make the bottom six, it, I think it'll be definitely in discussion. Um, but I think that if they were to have a, a pretty poor start to next year, I think that would that, that would gather a lot of momentum to talk around his job security. I think I muted myself. I think <laughs> he I I think I think he might be in trouble this year. If they finish bottom six, I genuinely think that he might be in trouble this year. Imagine that. Imagine a season where hypothetically, hypothetically, Richmond next year will get a new coach. They will 100 percent West Coast might get a new coach. Fremantle might get a new coach. Gold Coast might get a new coach. And inexplicably, Port Adelaide might get a new coach as well. Mm. But yeah, I think. From top six to bottom six would be a monster fall from grace for a club that had set in so much promise had coming into this season. Uh to one from one off from one on-field disaster to an off-field enigma. Uh and the noise out of the Essendon Football Club rebranding. I want to ask you, Liam. Try to put your Collingwood bias aside, okay? And I know it's difficult, but try to put your Collingwood bias aside for a second, right? I want to ask you, what do you think of this whole Essendon logo thing? Do you think it's like, do you think it's an actual an actual story? Do you think people are overreacting to this? Because like there are people saying like, oh, I've supported the Bombers for forty years, 
if they get rid of the bomber, I'm not supporting them anymore. Um, I think personally, I don't think it needs to be changed. I think, I think also the fact that the logo in itself is the nickname of the club, which obviously is the case for most clubs. But you, you look at you know clubs like the Blues, for instance. That's pretty easy like you can rebrand that because it's not a thing that is actually attached to the club's representation like it's a color you're not going to have to change the color of carlton's logo for instance all you just need to do all you need to have is to have to quote the greatest carlton supporter i've ever heard on radio the emblem okay sorry let's say that you were saying but um, obviously, yeah, you know, the nickname for Essendon is the Bombers, and that is part of the logo. And I think that taking that out kind of takes away from, I think, the identity of the club a little bit. You know, obviously, being a Collingwood fan, it doesn't really bother me that much what happens here. Um, but I don't really see why this is blown up into a big issue that I think doesn't really need to be. Personally, I just think leave it. There's not really a lot of reasons it needs to be changed but i guess as an essendon fan you probably have a different you know a much more opinionated stance on this whichever side of the argument you do sit on i mean okay 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 so essendon supporters who are listening to this especially older essendon supporters i am 22 i am a member of gen z i do consider myself woke i don't think woke is a bad word i hate it when conservatives use it as a bad word because I think it's not a bad word. And I do vote for the Greens, uh, which if you are outside of Australia, the Greens is the main left to far left political party in Australia. Uh, with all that being said, I do think the logo needs to change. And I can hear what you're saying now. Oh, Casper, he's just another woke freaking leftist. Communist freaking scum at the bottom of my capitalist boot. Just wait, wait a second. Okay, wait a second, wait a second. I do think it needs to change, but not for the reason why it needs to change. We should keep the bomber. If we get rid of the bomber plane and don't replace it with another bomber plane, will I lose my mind? No. This club is older than the bomber moniker it is more than the bomber moniker as much as i love the bomber emblem it is just an airplane and people who are saying things like oh put my membership in the microwave if they do this need to calm down i do think it needs to change not because it has violent war imagery if anyone is upset frankly by the fact that it has violent war imagery I don't know how to explain it to you. It is it is a cartoon plane. It is not a plane that will fly over your house and vomit. It is literally just a plane. And if it is the issue with the bomber moniker, then surely the demons have to change their nickname because that's too that's too ridiculous. And the saints, we can't have the saints because that's too religious and that will piss off all the atheists. I don't make plays either. People hate those things swooping them. Oh, absolutely. Are you kidding me? How many people die from tigers a year? And we're going to disrespect them by having a team called Tigers? It's ridiculous. But no, it does need the change logo for a couple of reasons. Number one, Essendon does not wear the color gray. It is ridiculous that the plane in the logo is that the logo itself has gray, that the plane itself has gray in it. So it needs to be changed to a black and red logo. But also, We've had the same logo since 1997. If the Sydney Swans can change their logo after 30-odd years, we can change the logo after 30-odd years too. It's not going to bring on the apocalypse, right? It's not going to be like Cthulhu is going to get a notification on his phone and it's going to be like, oh, well, Essendon's finally changed their logo. Guess it's time that I rise up from the dead. That's not going to happen, all right? If the world didn't end in 2012, it's not going to end in 2023 just because of a football club changing the logo. It's about time that the bomber plane gets updated to another bomber plane. And if it does, if the logo does get upgraded and we get rid of the bomber plane, can I recommend a logo that I saw on social media? A logo of Nick Martin sitting, legs spread, freaking Chad pose of him sitting on the bench after the Carlton game. Put that as the logo as an in football club, please. If you are considering getting rid of the bomber, 
please put that as our logo, maybe specifically when we're playing against Carlton, just to rub salt into the wounds just a little bit more, just a little bit more because, hey, Carlton supporters, we may also be trash for the last 20-odd years or so, but at least we have won a final in a year starting with the number two. That's my opinion on the Essendon logo front. It needs to change, but not for the reason why people are talking about. Uh, on to the next talking point, and I want to ask, we'll go from my team to talking about your team. I want to ask you, Collingwood, pretty terrible loss against Melbourne, got extremely lucky that it was that close, nearly pulled off another Houdini BS kind of come, which is so typical of the Collingwood Football Club. But I want to ask you, are they just stumbling a little bit? Just a little bit? Because they aren't nearly as dominant, I don't think, as they were earlier in the season. And Port are coming hard. They've got a pretty, they've got a difficult fixture. I mean, they play the Crows who are in the finals. They play the Suns on the Gold Coast where they're more difficult to play against. They play the Dogs who are inside the top eight. They play Port in Adelaide. Uh, Carlton might be back in finals contention by the time they play each other in round 20, although let's be real, that's not going to happen. Um, they play Geelong, they play Brisbane, and then they finish off with Essendon. That is a difficult run, and they're just starting to look a little bit iffy at the moment, Collingwood. Yes, they beat the Eagles by 10 goals, but did you see that third quarter? The Eagles, the worst team in the competition, the worst team that we've had since Fitzroy took its last dying breath dominated against you guys you no sorry you 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 don't look so convinced they dominate against you guys right if andrew gaff didn't periods of the game periods if, of the game. if andrew gaff didn't make such a gaff if you pun in the pun and miss from straight in front they would have been within like eight points against you guys they were charging hard and the reason why you guys won by as big as you did is because they are literally playing half a waffle team and not not the not the seniors, the lowest grade in the world. I think also the fact that Collingwood has a, a fairly strong finish to games also contributed to that. But they they Melbourne kicked eight goals, 18. 27 scoring shots to 17. You guys should have lost by seven goals. Yeah, no, it, it, it was a, a very, very poor performance from Collingwood on the King's birthday. Um a very how frustrating dare, one. How as dare well. you disrespect the King? Um, and, and it was a, it was a very frustrating watch as well. Um, and I, I hope that this Sunday's game, which I'll be attending, will be a, a much better showing. But I, I think that if you look at Collingwood's performances, you know, roughly, well, we're into round what 15, 16 now, fifteen this week. Um, if you look at Collingwood's first seven rounds, and then you know they're following six or seven since, I would say yeah, the first month and a half or two was stronger than the following, but. I think there's certain periods of the year where results are the most important and there's certain periods of the year where the level of performance is important. And I think that right now I'm happy for Collingwood to just get wins by whatever means is necessary. I think once you start getting to the point where your position is rather kind of solidified and you know where you're going to finish, that's when you want to probably focus on actually playing good football. And I think that probably comes into effect the last few rounds before finals. You know, for instance, that you're going to be a top four. You know that you're going to be a top eight side. It's important that you're not just winning by whatever means. It's important that you're actually playing good football. You know what tactics work for your team and you know how you're going to, you know, progress into the finals. And I think that stumbling is probably a little bit of a an exaggeration of the situation. We've had one loss. Um, I think that if, like you said, we do have a tough fixture coming up between now and the end of the, of the season. So I think that, you know, let's see how we go over the next three, four weeks. You know, there's going to be some challenges in there. You know, obviously Bulldogs and Marvel is not going to be easy. Port Adelaide in Adelaide is going to be very difficult. Um, but I think that these next, this next month roughly will be a good chance to see where Collingwood's at, whether or not, like you suggest, maybe that there'll be a bit of a stumble and all of a sudden our top four security won't look as strong as it does right now. Or it could be a chance for us to reassert our dominance and kind of confirm that we'll hopefully be getting a home final and a top four finish. So, um, and also there's, there is some positive news for Collingwood. Obviously, Tagoe will be back in a couple of weeks. Cybottom, Jamie Elliott, McStay are all not too far away injury-wise. Jeremy Howe's back for selection this week. So a lot of those injuries that we've been battling 
for the last couple of months to, you know, relatively keep players are going to become available. Like we don't have any long-term injuries now, um, aside from, you know, a couple of weeks for those players to just mention. So we're going to have a fairly strong uh, group of players to select between. So there's a lot of upside to, I think, you know, the next month or two for Collingwood, but I think it's, it's going to be an interesting period to assess where they're at. And I'm fairly confident. I, I think that McRae's absolutely brilliant. I think that the way he's turned us around these last 18 to 24 months is anything short of a miracle. So I believe that he's capable of whatever he sets his heart out to do at the moment. Craig McRae, if you're listening to this, Liam would love to marry you and we'll <laughs> happily have your children. Um, I feel a little bit like, I don't know if you saw that clip of Kevin Peterson and Ricky Ponting at the Ashes and Kevin Peterson is talking about how great Joe Root is playing with the bat and how, oh man, he just, the Aussie, the Aussie fielders don't know what to do. The Aussie bat, the Aussie bowlers don't know what to do. Like he's leaving them spellbound. And Ricky Ponting just said, mate, he got out for 40. I feel a little bit like that. You say that, oh, Colin was not stumbling. They barely got over the line, comparatively speaking. And I I know, I know that Essendon only beat this team by six points, but still. They performed very poorly against North Melbourne, got an unconvincing win. They were hammered in the third quarter against West Coast. And you might say, well, that was only a quarter. Which team has been hammered by West Coast this season for any period of time, let alone a quarter? What, what I'll say, though, is granted, yeah, these are periods of games that we've performed badly in, but we're still getting results while doing it, which is, I think, a testament to... If we're looking at Collingwood and saying that this is the problem, the problem is, oh no, we had a bad period against West Coast and won by 10 goals. We had a bad period against North Melbourne and won by six goals, you know, and we played awful against a team who were going to probably make the top four and still almost miraculously beat them. It is, no, 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 hold on, no, no, no. The West Coast, North Melbourne, and even I would argue the Giants game before that and the Carlton game, you were the beneficiary of playing four of the worst teams in the competition this season. If you played that poorly against Brisbane, you wouldn't have won. I mean, hell, I was going to say if you played that poorly against Melbourne, you wouldn't have won, but you did play for that poorly against Melbourne. And guess what? You lost. Barely. Big, but a loss is a loss. If you're saying that a win is a win, no matter how much you yeah. win, then a loss is a loss, no matter how much you lose by it. And, 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 and I agree. Like I said, I think we played awful against Melbourne. And I think that if we continue that level of performance, we do have a problem. But I think, like I said, I think it's a testament to how good Collingwood are that we look at performances against those teams who are awful and still are criticising wins of the by 50 and 60 points. And I think that it's also a testament to how good we are that we played as awfully as we did against Melbourne, but still almost were able to get a result. Granted, that was also down to Melbourne not being able to kick straight. But at the end of the day, that's their problem. That's not our problem to deal with. Um, like I said, I think the next month or so will be a period that will allow us to have a better understanding of where Collingwood's at because I think that there's going to be a number of tests in that period and I think that we'll probably know whether or not it is a stumble or if we're just looking for a problem that isn't there. Their kicking Melbourne was as straight as Freddie Mercury. <laughs> If it was as straight as John Wayne, then you would have been blown out of the water. Just saying, I think Colin was starting to stumble a little bit, and I look forward to your inevitable September failure. Very much so. Uh, and Colin with supporters on Twitter, come at me, right? Come at me. The more you attack me and the more you attack my opinions, the more delicious the salt is going to be when the inevitable September failure comes along. This is, sort of, uh, this is a very balanced podcast, isn't it? This is totally journalism, hard news, not any sort of opinion involved. In all seriousness, since when have you heard a football podcast not filled with opinions? <laughs> that is true. Have you listened to the Damien Hart, uh, Damien Hardwick, the Damien Barrett one with um, Nat Edwards? I love those two, by the way. By the way, if anyone's listening to this on the AFL, please get me a signature from Nat Edwards. I would be very grateful. Uh, kind of a big talking point this entire season, but I want to ask you, Liam, has the MRO actually lost its mind with some of these decisions with dangerous tackles? Because there's a difference between purposely taking a player and then going, don't know if you heard, but that was me slapping my bottle against my leg 
because I didn't want to slap it against the table unless I damaged my water bottle. But that's the point, right? You know, it's a difference between taking a player and slamming him on the table like I slam Oreos and tackling and accidentally, you know, them hitting their head on the ground or them hitting their own head on the ground on purpose. So I want to ask you, Liam, some of these some of these decisions are absolutely ludicrous. And I know Dan Butler got off uh, eventually on his charge, but that was absolutely idiotic, the fact that he got a week to begin with. Mm. Has the MRO actually lost their mind? I think that, I mean, obviously, let's not get too historical here, but obviously back in back in the day, for those who, you know, may listen to this who are, you know, in their twilight years, football was a very dangerous sport back in the day. <laughs> and I think the nature of the sport, even though it has, you know, evolved as it has over the last 50, 60, 70 years, however long we want to go back, it still has an element of physical contact and dangerous actions that are involved when you've got people all running at each other after one item and the rules allow them to have heavy contact with each other and grab each other and such the nature of it is going to be that there is going to be some injuries that will happen and that you know from time to time you know it might look like it was a little bit dangerous but i think the reality is that um yeah the mro has just taken it a little bit too far i think like you said, there is tackles that are clearly intent on actually injuring people. And there's also tackles that are just unfortunate occurrences where a player will get caught up in a bit of a tangle or the just the actual tackling motion will result in them having a, a slightly dangerous nature. But I think that you can't pull players up on that because the nature of tackling is that it, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna head towards the ground. There's a chance that someone is gonna get some form of a knock or some form of a potential injury. And I just think that we need to set clear rules between what is an intentional putting a player at harm and a general tack- tackle that is has no malice behind it, pretty much. But how can you tell the difference? Well, I mean, that's where the MRO has to, you know, do its job and actually look at the footage and determine how dangerous is the motion of the tackler. I don't know. It's risky. I, uh, I, I, I don't trust the MRO to, to properly adjudicate a little league's game, let alone the AFL at the moment. I mean, some of these suspensions are absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it will get to the stage where players are on purpose knocking themselves out. You can go and get your charger if you want, Liam. That's okay. I'll just keep. I'll just keep on talking while 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 you walk out of the room. Um, yeah, I do think it is kind of ridiculous some of these some of these suspensions, and I think that it will cost teams come finals, and it will cost players big individual accolades, and it will cost teams a lot of success come September. Imagine a prelim final. Just wait for Liam to sit back down. Imagine a prelim final where there is a team that has had a player suspended because of a great tackle where the player being tackled accidentally has their head knocked on the ground and all of a sudden that team loses an important player for the grand final. You didn't hear a word of what I just said, but I made a really, really good point. Basically, I'll repeat it again for for your sake, Liam. I said, imagine a team in the grand final is missing an important player because they got suspended for a week because in the prelim, they tackled a player. It was a great tackle. It was a legal tackle. There was no slinging motion to it. But that player that got tackled, their head hit the ground and they got concussed. Yes, that was kind of, that would talk to my point I was making a few minutes ago where I think they need to be able to distinguish what is an, an intentional tackle that harms a player and what's just a tackling motion that results in an unfortunate injury. Because I think that that sounds, like you said, it, it was a legal tackle and it had no malice behind it. So in that instance, the player shouldn't be getting suspended. It's those tackles where there's a, a serious slinging motion that was intentionally done um, where you have to probably consider it a bit more closely. But it's a, it's a fine line, I think, and it's 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 really hard to get that 
as a really clear um, set of rules because I think it's quite a you know subjective thing really. You are also never going to get a player admitting at the tribunal. I one hundred percent intended on giving him a concussion. Did you get a concussion out of that? Good. That's what I intended to have happened. <laughs> On to the next talking point, and this one is kind of a little bit out there, but I want to ask, the gather round big, uh, dates have been released for 2024, fall in round four of the 2024 season, and I want to ask, well, that's a lot of fours in the one sentence, but I want to ask you, should, when when the fixture gets released later this year, should they release all, you know, the first 23 rounds? Like, they do the matchups for 24 rounds, but should they release the actual dates, times, exactly when the, each game is going to be for the first 23 rounds, when the fixture is released, no more, no more floating rounds? Or should they have floating rounds for at least a little bit of it? I think floating rounds are a good idea. I think it allows a bit more um, ability to, you know, uh, customize it i guess would be a way of putting it mm. and, I, and i just think that why lock yourself into something so early when you can kind of i guess see how things play out and kind of consider your options a bit longer so i, I think the idea of a floating fixture probably is smarter on the afl's part because you don't know what will happen but ultimately it's it, it's it's their decision and i think that i i personally would go with the floating fixture but i don't know what do you think Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Imagine you're trying to book a travel date for next year for a game that Collingwood is playing interstate in the uh, latter third of the year, let's say that. And you can't book your flights because you don't know when the game is going to be. And finally, when the fixture, the remaining fixture, the floating fixture becomes, well, fixed, let's say, the uh, all of a sudden, all the flights are booked and the tickets are sky high because airplane uh, airlines are jackasses and they 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 hike the prices up. Let's hope that uh, Alan Joyce is not opinion. listening. You would probably have a different opinion, and honestly, Alan Joyce, if you are listening to this, <laughs> I stand by exactly what I said. But anyway, <laughs> um, but you would have a different opinion, would it? You would have a different opinion. Yeah, I mean, what I would say, though, with domestic travel is I think it's unlikely that a flight's going to be booked out that far in advance. I think, you know, within reason, like a lot of domestic flights, you can kind of book fairly close to the the, the departure time, I think, like, you know. But can you do that cheaply, is the answer, is the question. Yeah, that, that you know, obviously, the longer you leave it, the more expensive it gets. But again, domestic flights, I would like to think it's not going to go from $100 to $500 in the space of a couple of months, especially if we're still booking it months in advance, which I, I, I think would be the suggestion with the floating fixture. It's not going to get released like three weeks beforehand. It's going to get released at least a couple of months in advance. When was the last time you went flying domestically? Oh, three, four months ago? It costs an arm and about like half a liver to fly. <laughs> it is a fair bit. I'm, I'm just saying, right? I like I like the floating fixture. If they get rid of it, fans are no longer allowed to complain if a team gets given a Friday night game that then underperforms during the season or a Thursday night game and then underperforms during the season. Because, dear football listeners, if the entire fixture had been released last year for 2023, Carlton would have been given so many more Friday night games. Like, it's ridiculous. You're lucky they only play one more Friday night game. You know why? Because the AFL looked at their form in the first half of the season. So, yikes, don't want that on Friday night. And Collingwood probably wouldn't have been given as many Friday night games as they have in the second half of the season. But the AFL looked at the Collingwood uh, form line and thought, yeah, that's what we have. That's what we want to have on Friday night. Can't tell you how many Sunday afternoons I've spent watching football this opening couple of months of the season. What else are you going to do on a Sunday afternoon, Liam? To be, to, be, to be fair, that is a good point. It does fill a, a kind of a vacant time on a Sunday, which is usually pretty boring. What are you going to do now that they're not going to be playing Sunday anymore except for, well, this Sunday? Yeah, well, let's get to that when that time comes. I've still got a few more Sundays that I can fill with Collingwood. 
Uh, one last question. Which one of these two women would, as you know, you're not, I can't answer that question. Uh, I can't answer that question on this podcast. Moving on to the round 15, I was about to say round 16, round 15 preview, and it starts off with a monster Thursday night clash. It's Geelong and Melbourne at GMHBA Stadium. Liam, I want to ask you, who wins, how much, and why? Can the Ds fresh off of an incredible victory against Collingwood and then the bye, come out and kiss Geelong's finals chances goodbye to part of the pun. Um, Look, I think it's going to be a close game. I, I, I'd like to think it will be as well for entertainment purposes. Um, partially because I want this result to happen, but also because I think it's a possibility. I'm going to back Geelong. I think this is a, a real tough one though because I think that Melbourne are going to be the favourites I think just because of the fact that they're the better team but Geelong do have that capability to just pull out the odd amazing performance because they are still a pretty good team when they get everything right Uh, and I think also the fact that they're at home will help granted they have been a little bit more shaky down at GM HBA of recent times but I still think that they're definitely a strong chance against Melbourne down there um, so I'm going to back Geelong by 15 points, partially because I want it to happen, but partially because I think it can happen as well. I Melbourne has Melbourne has rarely won in recent years down at GMHBABCDEFG Stadium, as I like to call it. Um, but uh, I tell you what, Geelong will look really, really at the end. Danger, Captain Danger back in action and then immediately out of it extreme bravery from him to play with the injury that he had. And I hope and I wish for him to have a speedy recovery. But that kind of offsets the fact that Clayton Oliver won't be playing tonight for Melbourne. I think that cancels each other out a bit. I I can't believe it. I, I'm part of a group chat with my dad and two Melbourne supporting friends of ours in Dubai. And I was the only one to tip Melbourne against Conwood. And my argument was that Clayton Oliver and Jordan Degoe both being out kind of offsets each other and cancels each other out. And I think it will do the exact same here. I think Melbourne are in such a rich vein of form that they are going to get a rare win down at GMHBA. And you might be saying, Geelong losing multiple times at GMHBA in the space of the season? That hasn't happened since Victoria was alive. What happened? And the last time that happened was in 2015 when the Cats missed the finals. And I think they're going to miss finals this year, Geelong. I think it's going to be the first time since 1963 that the grand finalists from the year before missed out on finals the next year. And I think it's going to happen six decades in the making. Cats are going to lose. On to Friday night. Hopefully we get a good crowd for this one because the crowds for Friday nights for good teams that just so happen to be one small drawing Victorian club and then one interstate club has been disappointing. But it's St Kilda and the Brisbane Lions Friday night footy. I think this game is going to be an epic contest. But I think Brisbane is probably the... I think I have more to prove just because I think that there is a narrative forming around them that away from the Gabba, they are pretty useless, especially when they play in Melbourne. Here's a golden opportunity for them to win a big game against another top four contender. And I think they're going to win. I think it's going to be a great game of football, Brisbane by about 15 points. Oh, wait, I'm trying to give a margin that Melbourne's going to beat Geelong by. Melbourne by 10 points. Um. I'm going to go with the opposite. I'm going to say the Saints because maybe I'm a little, uh, I'm falling into that Brisbane outside Gabba uh, mentality. But that being said, although, yes, there is a bit of momentum behind that, they did beat St Kilda at Marvel last year. So let's not forget that. Like, Brisbane aren't awful at Marvel. With you that being said, with that being <laughs> said, they won at Marvel Stadium last year when King kicked, like, five behinds. Yeah. Um. What I will say is I think that they're worse at the MCG. So I, I think that Marvel is a, a place that I wouldn't necessarily say suits Brisbane, but they're better there than they are at the MCG. Um, but I, I still think the Saints, you know, they're a very difficult side to play against. Ross Lyon makes them incredibly frustrating. And I think that it, it's it's one of those, it's kind of similar to the Melbourne Geelong game. I think it could really go either way, but I'm going to back St Kilda because I think that here in Melbourne, I just think that they might have enough behind them to get over the line. So I'm saying the Saints by 22 points. Sydney versus West Coast at the SCG. Uh, sure, Liam, tell me, please, the Swans are going to win this, right? 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was it was 92 points the last time they played at the SCG. And somehow West Coast are probably even worse now. No, that so, wasn't. It wasn't 92 points the last time they played each other at the SCG. It wasn't? You mean in 2021, right? I believe so, yeah. That was, that was down in Geelong. Oh, that's right. That was because um, of Gladys Berejikli and the freaking arsehole. But anyway, sorry, you were saying. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, West Coast are, let's be real, not good. <laughs> We're being kind. So, uh, and even though Sydney aren't having a, a good year, I still think they've got more quality than West Coast at the moment. So I'm going to say Sydney by nine goals. This is the exact kind of game that Sydney will win by about 10 points because they rarely blow teams away. But because of how poor the Eagles are and because their injury list is longer than the length of the River Nile, I think the Swans will win by, yeah, I'll say nine to 12 goals, somewhere in that range. Buddy to kick about eight, probably, in his last good outing. Well, let's say last good outing. He plays that center one more time, so he's probably going to kick 10 goals in that one, let's be honest. Um, on to, speaking of Essendon, it's the Bombers and the Dockers. It's in Perth. Uh, we spent so much time trash-talking Fremantle on this podcast that I, even even if Sammy Draper is out for Essendon, which might be the case, they should get Darcy Parrish back. And even though Fremantle will probably kill Essendon in the ruck, I trust that Essendon midfield is going to be prepared for that and will dominate Fremantle's midfield. I still think that Essendon's backline is a slight issue. So if you have Darcy or if you have Jackson in the forward line, that's going to be that's going to be a problem because we don't have a tall defender. I think Essendon is going to win. I think it's probably going to be closer than what a lot of people think. I think Essendon by about three goals. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it'll be a bit of a thriller. And I think the Dockers will lose again. Um, I think it should be... I mean, it, it's a big opportunity, I think, for Fremantle, I think, in particular. I think this is a bit of a free hit for Essendon. I think a win or a lot... I mean, I think a win obviously does them a lot of good, but I don't think if, if Essendon lose, anybody's going to kick up much of a fuss losing to Fremantle over there. So I think it's actually a good just free hit in a sense for Essendon in the sense that win or loss, I don't think it's going to be a disastrous effect, even if it were to be, uh, you know, a negative result. So I think that it's definitely a bigger game for Fremantle, uh, but I think the Bombers will get over the line and they'll throw up by eight points. Just two games on the Saturday means that there's just two games on the Sunday finishing off the bye rounds, and it starts off with Collingwood versus Adelaide at the MCG. It's the Pies and the Crows. Feathers will fly at the MCG uh, when you also add in the fact that there will be a metric ton of pigeons and seagulls there as well, as there always are. Liam, I want to ask you, which bird will come out on top? Obviously, it won't be the pigeons or the seagulls, but will it be the Maggies or will it be the Crom? Um, well, obviously, I'm going to tip my my side, but I think it'll be fairly close. I think Adelaide will actually put up a good fight, so I'm going to say Collingwood by 20 points. I think Collingwood, I think this is what you said about Essendon. I think this is the opposite. I think Collingwood losing to the Crows wouldn't be that bad of a thing. I think Adelaide losing to Collingwood, yes, they're the best team in the competition and yes, it's in Melbourne, but there's a narrative forming around the Crows so they can't play well outside of Adelaide, outside of South Australia. What an opportunity for them to change that around. And I think the Crom will crumb out a win uh, in Melbourne, I think it will be an epic, I suspect, because Collingwood don't get blown away. I think the Crows will win by six points. What a, what a shock that Casper's going to tip against Collingwood and is hoping for a, a miraculous win by Adelaide. Um, I never thought I would say this because I can't stand the Crows either, but go Crows! On to the Sunday Twilight. It's up on the Gold Coast at Heritage Bank Stadium or whatever the frick it's called. They should have stuck with Metricon. What a stupid name for a stadium anyways. Um, the Suns and the Hawks. Oh, goodness gracious me. A week ago, I would have thought that the Suns would have won by about 60 points. But this game, <laughs> I think, is so narrow. I cannot see. As what magic is going to be required. Casbolt magic is going to be required. Chol magic is going to be required. I think Chol will pull a Chad move and the Suns will... <laughs> I think... Give me while I die for a second. Um, I think the Suns will get the win. Uh, 
by probably seven goals or so. By the way, if anyone uses the word Chad unironically, that's exactly what happens to you. You then die. That's the that's the that's the curse of the Chad. Um, on to you, Liam. Who do you think is going to win? Can the Hawks pull off yet another upset? They've had a great month. Mm. Yeah, I'm going to go for it. Why not? Also, to be a bit a bit interesting. Why not throw in a Hawks upset in Queensland, winning by 29 points? Whoa, I like it. I'm tipping the Crows to beat the Pies. You're tipping the Hawks to beat the Suns. What a time to be alive. I cannot wait for both of us to be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Liam, if you were a gambling man, and obviously you're not because you're a responsible human being, but if you were a gambling man... Man, I'm just insulting everyone today. Who would you who which game would you put your 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 metaphorical house that you metaphorically own on? Which one would I metaphorically say would be the upset? No, but the the one that you're actually saying like it's result or one hundred. Oh yeah, oh, it's gonna it's gonna be the Swans and the Eagles, surely. Surely, um, yeah, the Swans and the Eagles. I think every single other game is probably close to a fifty fifty. Um. Which game are you most looking forward to? I think it's going to be tonight's game. I think Cats and Melbourne. It's just, yeah, it's a it's a big game. At, you know, for the Cats finals chances and Melbourne's top four chances, and it gives Melbourne a really good chance to actually, you know, throw a bit of a spanner in the mix and potentially challenge for a, a home final. Which I mean, they might get anyway. For instance, if Collingwood were to finish second against them, and obviously they would have matched up second and third at the G. But I think it's a good chance for Melbourne to potentially challenge for top two and obviously Geelong to try and keep within distance of the top eight. Good on you for acknowledging that Colin was not going to win the minor premiership. Dear listener, thank you for joining us for this week. It's been an absolute blast having you on. Liam, I freaking love you, man. Thank you so much for ending my drought. Of my, my, my podcast co-host list streak is over thanks to you. Um, I would wish you all the best for Sunday, but at this point in our friendship, you know that that's a lie. I mean, I don't think there's ever a game that you actually want Collingwood to win, other than maybe against Carlton. Even that's a stretch. You probably always are hoping for a draw. When lots of injuries. Dear listener, join us next week as we review the last of the bye rounds and preview a monster round 16 clash. Until then, sayonara. There was going to be something else to the end of that, but yeah, sayonara. Sayonara.